Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Good morning. It's so good to be here. You're the ones who changed your clocks. I get it, and that's good. I appreciate that. Got my computer here. Old school. You know, it's always good to be in the house of the Lord, but beyond that, it's good to start the day, the first day of the week off right. Lifting up the Lord, praising him, worshiping him, giving us the strength to move forward. And that's, we're going to talk about more of that today. Our worship team, amazing, amazing. It seems like they just get better and better, right? To me, it's, it's so impacted. Some of the words that come out, it, it's just as amazing. And, and then the, the heartfelt feeling that comes with it. Whew. Um, I want to welcome all of you here today. I want to welcome all of you who are watching online today as well. This is the place. This is the place where it feels like family, loves like Jesus. This is it. This is the place you want to be. And I'm so excited to be here with you. Uh, going forward, we need to continue to keep all our pastors in prayer. Pastor Eddie and Roxanne and family as well, they're traveling, but they're also doing ministry. And anytime we're doing the will of the Lord, there's rest in that as well. There's something gratifying. In fact, one of the greatest things I enjoy that I am most humbled is when I can share the word. I'm at most peace when I'm reading it, hearing it, and sharing it. And, and I hope that's the same for you as well. We need to keep Pastor Nick and Raylene and their family in prayer as well. All the pastors that we have that are in Georgia, Texas, Washington, San Diego, let's not forget them. Let's, let's keep them in prayer as well. I want to show you something. This is a highlight of the beginning of my week. And last week was pretty full. I'm sure all of you had full weeks. And then we get an hour taken away from us. But you know what? It just allowed us to be more efficient, to get more done, because we knew that was going to happen. At least that's how I thought about it. Put a fire under me, so to speak. But one of my greatest highlights uh, is when I can spend time with my grandchildren, with my family. And I had the opportunity last week to do that and yet prepare for all the things during the week that was necessary. But one of the most amazing things, I want to I show you this picture. It set the tone for me. My grandson, who's eight years old, his name's Shane. He did this in school. They gave him this project. And he colors it, and then he says, my dream is for everyone to love God. That, that's, that touched me, and I'm sure it touches you. And when your children or grandchildren do the same, he... And all our children are gifts to us now. But they are a blessing for the future. This is what this is telling me. This is legacy. Until Christ returns, he's going to continue the light that I have in him and carry it on. It's so beautiful. And I love you so much, Shane. I love my other grandson, Shiler, and my family overall. It's just awesome. Well, I want to continue on dominion. But before we do that, I have an announcement I want to share. I was in one of the meetings last week, and there's so much energy and enthusiasm and work that's going behind what's coming up in April. What do we have coming up in April? Do we know? See, we call that Easter, but in the Bible, in Leviticus 23, it's called the Feast of Passover, followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then what we call Easter, the Feast of First Fruits. Because Jesus rose from the dead. He is our first fruit. That's only 28 days away. And there's a lot of planning going on, but I want you to know, if you, how many of you have our app on your phone already? Great. You want to download it if you don't have it. Because going forward, as we get closer and into that week prior, 
You're going to want to get what's on there. It's going to tie things together. It's going to help you understand and bring you more in focus of who Jesus Christ is and what he did. So I highly encourage you to download the app. It's amazing what they have planned and what's going forward. What happens after Easter 50 days later? Do you know? Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. That's right. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and many more, including us. These are all spring feasts. I just say that because they've all been fulfilled through what Jesus has done and what the Holy Spirit did when he came, when he was given to us. There's three more feasts that come up. They're called fall feasts. They haven't been fulfilled yet. Do you know what the next one is? It's the Feast of Trumpets. That's the rapture. That's the talking about us going up into heaven with the Lord. Before the next feast, the Great Tribulation, we call that. But the next feast is the Feast of Atonement or Judgment. And then the final feast talks about uh, the Feast of Tents or Tabernacles, where God comes and lives. That's the thousand-year reign. You see how this ties in? This is God's calendar. And it's so close for his return. Everything, the stage is set. There's nothing that's keeping him away except when the Father says it's time. That leads me to this. I read this about a week or so ago. I shared it in the Revelators class. The fire is still in me, and I want to ignite something into you. There were three demons that came to Satan with a, a ploy, a plot, to be able to ruin mankind and specifically ruin those who love Christ. And the first demon came to Satan and said, I got this great plan, Satan. I'm going to tell him there's no God. Satan looked at him and he said, yeah, that'll work for some, but I want more than that. That's not going to pull those away who really know God, who, who see God in his creation. And that's, that's not enough. So the second demon came up. And he said, I'm going to tell them that they evolved, that they weren't created. And to tell you the truth, evolution, and we see it in Revelation, that's end time theology in terms of uh, people believing that, doctrine. That, that's end time concepts. And so Satan looked at him, he smiled and said, that's good. I like that. But it's still not enough. Because those hardcore Christians, the ones that stay close to Christ, I want them. I want to ruin their lives. And the third demon, he comes up and he says, I'm just going to tell them they got all the time in the world. There's no hurry to do anything. You could make that decision to receive Christ anytime. You got all the time. And Satan laughed. He goes, that's it. That's the one we're going to use. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your living word, how much it's changed my life. And Lord, we know that your truth, when we hear it, when we receive it, that it sets us free. And that's what we're looking for. Dominion, not only in our lives, but the lives of others. For you to come in and make a change. The best change of all, eternal life. And we thank you for your word. In your mighty name, your holy name, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we all say, amen. I'm sure you've heard this, that the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. And so this is where our word is coming from. And I know one of your greatest books that you all love reading is the book of Numbers. I know, it's a tough book. But you know, I, I so much loved how Pastor Nick took one little passage, just a little scripture last week, and brought it alive. And when I started reading Numbers and listening to that little piece of scripture, I'm thinking, we can bring this alive. And it started to resonate in me. And there's some basic principles about dominion. 
And it's in this book of Numbers. And we're going to be in chapter 10 when we're reading. It, it is, a, it is a, a book that is well-defined, that has lots of order and detail to it. Because God is in the details. He's, he's in the excellence. He's, he, he's in the order of things. And that's what we see there. And so you see his character come out in there in a big way. And this story we're going to relate to is about him bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the wilderness, out of the darkness, and into a promised land. It applies to us that we too are in a wilderness. The earth, we're here now. But he has a greater promise, and he's bringing us to heaven. And we need to keep that in the forefront. Otherwise, you'll get consumed with the days and the things of the world. And so Numbers 10, verse 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. That was for that day. That is a picture of tools that are used to move the congregation from place to place when needed, to call them and bring them into a gathering when needed. You know that in the end times, in the great tribulation, there are two candlesticks. We call them two witnesses, and they come to minister to those who have hardened hearts with hopefully a change of heart. I also want you to know these silver trumpets illustrate something. It illustrates kind of the nature of when we read the word and the ministering when we hear the word. For instance, trumpets have a sound and they're meant to get attention. And so before we can obey God, we must first give him our attention. And the word does that. That's why we're here. The sound must be clear. It must not be too loud. It must not be too soft. It needs to be heard, but it must not be noise. It needs to be received so they know the instruction. Same thing with the word. The sound gathers people together as we are today. It's intended to move his people as it spoke about in the scripture. And when heard, and this is probably one of the most important Important points when heard to respond. If there's no response and you just hear it, it's really just, as Pastor Nick has said many times, just information. But we want revelation. And he wants us to move, and then he'll show us where to go and what to do and to direct our lives, right? But that's not always easy. And then the last thing I want to know about these trumpets is that they work because God is present. You see, the trumpets make the sound. It tells them something needs to happen, but he's the one who's in it that tells them where to go. And so today, I'm telling you right now, this word is a trumpet, multiple trumpets, coming after your heart to help you understand, to help you grow, to help you come to him if that's the case. Now we're going to skip down in numbers because I know there's a lot of detail there, but I want to go to verse 11 and 13. This is when the march to Canaan begins. This is when they begin to actually make the move to the promised land. It says, now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month, in the second year. So for two years, they've been being prepared for this. And then that cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony, and the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. And then the cloud settled eventually down in a wilderness called Paran. And so they started out for the first time, according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses, who's his servant. Why didn't God just take them directly to the promised land? Well, because 
faith needs to be grown. There's a time of testing. It's one thing to be in boot camp. It's one thing to be in battle. You can be in your word and agree with it. And then leave your house and all of a sudden you can't apply it because you don't have the faith to trust it. And so this is time, a, a camping spot, so to speak, to build their faith, to build their trust, a time of preparation, a time of testing. And there's lots of testing that needs to take place, as we're going to find out. So my first point, if you're taking notes or if you go online and get them, or in your life group when you meet, the first point, we need to have continuous attention on God. We can't leave that to chance or choice. You have to do it. That's the call. In everything we do, from our jobs, to our families, to our time here together, or when we're out in the world or talking to our neighbor, it's always on my mind. What are you up to, Lord? What are we doing now? What do I need to say to this person? Where do you want me to go? Why am I here? At least reveal something to me. If not, I'll just stay patiently in this spot. I won't go to another church. I'll stay here. You planted me here. Right? So continuous attention on God. That's point number one. For dominion. If you want dominion, as the Bible talks about, focus, keep your eyes on him. Because if you don't, he's given us New Testament example. One of them I think of right now. When Jesus was walking on the water in the middle of a storm. And the disciples were like, is that you, Lord? And only Peter kept his eyes on the Lord. And what happened? He walked on water. The only disciple that did it. And it's when he took his eyes off, he sank. That's what happens to us. So we need to constantly, continuously be attentive to God. Now, Numbers chapter 11, 1 through 3. It says, now when the people complained, wow, all of a sudden now they're complaining. God's been preparing them and moving them and working them. And then all of a sudden they get to move and now they're complaining. It said, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. And then the people cried out to God? No. They cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. And so he called this name the place of Taberah because of the fire the Lord had burned among them. Look, in the first 10 chapters of Numbers, they had everything they need to go forward into the promised land, just like you and I do as we become believers of Christ and we receive his gift and he lives and dwells in us. And then we get baptized and we get planted and rooted in the church and we read the word and we pray we have everything we need to be in heaven we have him but here they complain they're complainers he's called them stiff-necked <laughs> when i was in chiropractic school that one stuck Nothing good came out of when they complained, as we're going to find out. One, it displeased the Lord. What do you complain about? Too hungry? Oh, I'm too stuffed. Oh, it's raining outside. It's too hot now. I do that sometimes. We got to catch ourselves. We, I was tempted this week. I started to feel this little tickle in my throat and a little sinus and my wife's been battling it. My grandchildren have been battling I was tempted to text my wife and say, man, I got it. But I said, no. <laughs> it says here, don't complain. What's it going to do? Who's it going to help? Nobody. Don't complain. Even little things. What's the point of it? Where is it going to go? You're going to displease someone, if not God himself, 
and maybe others, as we're going to see. Moses, he started complaining because they complained. So the people then cried out to Moses. Why? Because they lacked a personal relationship with God. They had someone who was a go-between. But you know that in the New Testament, Jesus changed that and set us free to go directly to the Father. We don't have a go-between. And then when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. Prayer is powerful and it's important. And we need to be in it all the time. So my second point from Scripture, it's not my point, it comes out of Scripture. We must have an intimate relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, if you want to take dominion in your life personally and territory for the church, for the kingdom of God. So we need to be focused and our attention on God, and we need to have that intimate relationship with God, Jesus Christ. Now, it says in verse 4, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. <laughs> so the children of Israel also wept again and said, in other words, they complained again with sorrow, Who will give us meat to eat? How insulting. It's insulting because in Exodus and also earlier in Numbers, we see that they are supplied food, manna from heaven that took care of all their needs, at least for those first couple of years up until this point. And now we get to understand why they're complaining. Meat. And this mixed multitude, it makes it sound that when they left Egypt, there were others that were not of them that came with them. Other Egyptians, perhaps, or other slaves of different nationality. It's kind of like when Jesus walked the earth and his disciples were with him, but then the multitudes were with him. And why were they with him? They didn't want Jesus. They just want what Jesus had. And so this group left with them because it looked good. I don't have to be a slave to Pharaoh anymore. There's something powerful going here. I want to move with them. I want to receive what they receive. And they just went with them. But they weren't fully devoted. They weren't fully to the call. And I feel that my sense is they're the ones who swayed and started to complain first, remembering what they had in Egypt. And then the rest of them started to kind of do the same thing. And it started to be a song now, a song of weeping and complaining. Can you imagine that? They were not all living the true call, the divine movement that God had for his people. And so they fell into lust of an intense craving. Temptation. Temptation. Does that sound familiar? How many of you were tempted last week? I don't know what your temptation was, but we all get tempted. And they were so intense with this craving that they had to complain and cry out to Moses. Didn't even go to God. And then they said, who's going to give us this meat? God's been given and providing the whole time. And now they insult him even further and say, who? Because we want someone other than you, God, because we don't like what you give us now. We want something else. Is that us? I hope not. And if it is, let's catch ourselves in the moment and make a change because the Holy Spirit is in us to change us. And so then it said they yielded to this intense craving. The people of Israel had to yield to it. It's like a sinful desire that they had to fulfill and cooperate with it. But James tells us in 1.14, says... But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. We allow the temptation to get the better of us in that moment. And the only reason I can think of that we do that 
And hopefully the pattern when you started as a new believer is not the same now as it was as it is today. It should be less of that happening. But when it happens, why does it happen? What's the breakdown? Well, they yielded to their flesh rather than to God. So we need to yield ourselves to Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one we yield. When we receive him, as he changes us and moves us from one place to another, that we're no longer the person we were before, but a new creation in God, we take on his desires and our desires leave. Because our desires become his desires. That's how much the connection, the relationship, and the love is there. So when we start to fail in the testing, because our desires get so strong, it's because our relationship with Jesus Christ is not solidified yet. We're still living here and here. It's like riding two horses at the same time. You can't do it. It is impossible. That's point number three. Yield to Jesus Christ. When I read that who's going to give us meat, when I read that passage, I thought, man, there's times in my past that I can relate to that. And it saddens me. But I had to go through it. And we all have to go through it. We have to battle our own temptations. And those temptations, the enemy watches closely and he follows us and he knows what our weakness is. But we need to keep attuned our ears to the one above and not the one below. Sheep, his sheep, hear his voice. That's what we need to do. And then it says in verse 5 and 6, We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leaves, all the things they remembered that they enjoyed. And now they say, uh, their whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. The very manna that kept them alive for two years is now, they're dried up. That's a lie. You realize that's a lie. What they're doing is they're focusing on the past. What they're doing is taking the little things they enjoyed at the time and, and making that a big thing when, in fact, they were slaves. And they were worse off then than they were now, but they were focusing on the past. You see, when we receive Jesus Christ, again, we're a new creation. And we don't look on the past, or if we do, we don't dwell on the past. That's the next point. We do not dwell. We don't live in the past. I don't care what it is. Because Jesus is moving us forward, not backwards. And that's a mistake if we start to go that path. You know, one of the hardest situations is when someone dies, let's say a spouse. There is a grieving moment, and it is good to look in the past for period, but not to dwell there. And that's one of the hardest things that I see sometimes. I remember a, a man of the church, older gentleman, been here for years. His wife had died and now he's in a home and he's not doing well. And I go and pray and take communion to him. I don't think he ever heard one thing I said. He was in such grief. At some point, I, when I would come, I would just sit there. And I would pray the Lord to take him because of the pain and sorrow he was in. There were times I would go and I wouldn't want to go because it was disturbing to me. But I understand it. And eventually he did die. I got word. I was on my way and they said, he's not here. He's now gone. But that gentleman sticks in my head because he was so much living in the past and couldn't see the good in the moment, 
that God was there with him. He's there with us. So let us not dwell in the past because God is dwelling in you and can make the changes that are necessary. And they say nothing except this manna. Like they were not thankful for it at all after it allowed them to survive for almost two years. In fact, they could never be satisfied. Even God couldn't satisfy them. And that's why they're saying they would prefer uh, their own food, meat. So now they're going on their own wisdom not on the wisdom of God. And that's a problem. And so point number five, we need to cultivate a thankful heart. That just doesn't happen. I have to tell you, there were times in my life when I look back, I was greedy. I wasn't thankful for a lot of things and wanted more. But God has changed me. And I'm so thankful for the littlest things. Like when I came home yesterday after the kids' life training. I go to my backyard and there's a newborn butterfly right there. It's like, that is so amazing, God, to see that. You know the butterflies, more of them don't make it than do. And when they do make it, it's only for a very short time. Their life has a purpose, and one purpose only, to go from here to there and multiply so that the next generation can go from here to there. And, and it, it just keeps a cycle. But I see why now, and other, other animals in the world, right, there's this extinction occurring. It, we've not been very good stewards of our planet in many ways. Many of us aren't very good stewards of our homes, let alone our bodies. And then they say they're all dried up. God provided every need, but just not every desire. And now they're desiring more, something different in their own wisdom. And so they're looking at the glass half empty, not half full. And they got tired of the manna. Do you get tired of the manna? Do you ever get tired of the word? Like, you know you should be in the word, but you want to watch this new Netflix series. It happened to me the other night. I have the responsibility to prepare a message. And by the way, the only difference between you and I, aside from you sitting here and me standing here, is that I'm sharing my notes. You're taking notes. But hopefully you share these notes with someone else. But I'm sitting in bed, and I'm an airplane addict. I like to watch things and see how they unveil things. I'm really, really in deep sorrow about an airplane that disappeared six years ago in Malaysia Airlines and still has not been found. But I know God's got it under control. And then people are on there, and they're interviewing, and they have all these theories. And I finally turned it off, and I said, Lord, give me your word. Because I was getting consumed with that. The families. Sad. But joy is on the way. Joy is on the way. So point number six. Don't exaggerate circumstances. Don't lie about them. Don't embellish them. Just be straight up front with what's happening when you share. Because... When they did this, they complained. They complained to Moses. And then look what happens. It says in verse 10 and 11 now, then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. They all came to his house. All 1.2 million of them. At least that's the idea. It got overbearing, overwhelming for Moses. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. But then look what it says. Moses was also displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, now he's complaining. Why have you afflicted your servant? Why have you not found favor in your sight with me that you have laid this burden of these people on me? 
I've always heard it said that you hang around with the wrong people, eventually you'll be the wrong people. And here we see, a, you know, the people that he's leading that we're following and now they're not. And now Moses is complaining. Moses saw the burning bush and now he's complaining. So the Lord was angered. Moses was angered. You ever get angry? Are you in ministry? Do you always, do you, look, I'm human. And this last Saturday, we had a kid's life training. Started from nine and went to two. I had to give up my Saturday. But beyond that, I had to prepare for it. Time was given. But you ever get in ministry and then these things come up and it's like, man, I just want to stay home and sleep. I just want to lay here for the day. I don't want to do anything. Can I just stay here, Lord? I'm not going. Rebellion. But the Lord's in me and said, no, you can't do that. You know you love me. I go, I know I love you, and I'm going. But it's difficult sometimes. But I have to tell you, in my walk, the more my faith is put to the test, as these folks were put to the test, the more you're able to walk by faith and trust and do those things. So Moses is now complaining with the people. And then it says, we'll jump down to verse 16 and 17. God answers the complaints of Israel and of Moses. He says, so the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers uh, over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will uh, come down and talk with you there. I will take of the Spirit. Sounds like Pentecost. I will take of the Spirit that is upon you, Moses, and I will put that same Spirit upon them. And then they shall bear the burden of the people with you. Sounds like family now. That you may bear it yourself, but not alone. You'll have them. That's the family of God. There's the picture. These are men that were chosen by God already by their illustration of their faith. Just Moses need to recognize them. And then he's saying, bring them into leadership and let them stand there with you and bear it as well. And he says, I'll give you the same, I'll give them the same spirit that you have. That's important in leadership, in family, at work. If you're not of the same spirit, you won't be able to agree on anything. And they will share the burden with you, Moses. That's what God says. Point number seven, we need to be unified in one spirit if we want dominion in our lives, in the church, in the world. One spirit, one faith, one hope, one baptism. That is what the Bible says. And so we need to have it and own that first before we can go and share that with somebody else. Now, verse 18 through 20, I'm just going to summarize. So God's promises to provide meat for Israel. He's going to give it to them, but he's going to give so much of it in the whole month, they get sick over it. They don't want it anymore. In fact, God then makes a plague that happens. That's the sickness through the meat. They ate so much meat. They consumed so much meat. They became sick of it. It was a lesson. And then 21 and 23, it says, Moses reminds God of the task, of the problem, that there's 
all these men, 600,000 men. That's just the men. 1.2 million is estimated of these people that Moses was leading to the promised land. And he's telling God, I just want you to know that's a lot of meat you're going to provide. How are you going to do it? That's really what he's saying. I don't see any meat in the desert right now where I'm at. The wilderness is pretty dry. There's no fish. There's no meat. I don't see anything. He's telling God this. You know what God says? He answers back. The Lord now reminds Moses by saying, has the Lord's arm been shortened? And then he says, now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. And they witness and they get all that meat. Some, many die off. The story doesn't end there. I recommend you continue to read it. This was in my daily reading this week. I'm going through the Bible again as I do every year. And this is in my daily reading. And it hit me. Number eight. We need to grow in faith and trust. And to grow in faith and trust, we need to be tested. Because it's one thing to say it with our words. And it's another thing to do it. Because he's looking for our obedience. Not not our animal sacrifices. We are the ones to be sacrificed. And he's looking for obedience to be able to take dominion. Do you know what happens as this story unfolds? What continues? That whole generation that complained, they don't get to the promised land. They die off. The Lord keeps them out in the wilderness. When they only had to cross over, they were that close. And he keeps them in the wilderness because he doesn't want them in there. He's got the next generation coming up who didn't go through this, who believe and trust and go forward. In fact, by God's command, he had Moses send a scouting troop to go check out the land that God's already given to them. He said, this is yours. Take it. I'm letting you take it. But he says, send out a scouting troop. I think that's a test. Because 10 of them out of the 12 said, we'll never take that land. There are giants there. The food's, food is good. The fruit is healthy and ripe, plentiful. But the people are giants. We'll never be able to do it. And they got sophisticated weaponry. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, are the only ones that said, Come on. God said it's ours. We can do it. Let's take it. No. They crossed over into the promised land way as they're older. And they did take territory. So it's not related to our youth or our age that territory is something we take till our last breath. When you're laying in your bed and people are around you and you're sharing the love of Christ by your smile and your faithfulness and what you have to say at the moment and you bring them into the fold. That's the picture I want to see in my life. To the last breath, we have dominion. Because death, there is no sting. Where do we go? We just have a new address, heaven. Heaven. It's sad for me to think about these people who trusted God for the first, well, brought him out of Egypt. That had to be amazing to see all those plagues. And God was faithful and protected them. Then to see them come out into the wilderness and do everything and be prepared, organized and ordered, priests are, are developed, activities taking place, how to worship, how to build the sanctuary, what specific details to do and how to do it. And then they just sort of collapse. They get tired of it. And again, I think it has to do with 
not all unified with the same call. We need to be careful with who we hang out with. Work, school, neighbors. We can all be cordial. We can be loving, but I'm talking about hanging out with. Who's your core? Who's your 12? Think about that. It's important. Those are the ones you can trust and rely on. Because they have the same unified spirit as you do. If you're choosing them correctly, like-minded, believing in God, in Jesus Christ. I have to say this. I have to share it. I have to ask. Because I never know who's here and I never know when you'll get another chance. Just as God called his people out of Egypt, he's calling you today. If you've not left Egypt yet, he's calling you out. Out of Egypt, out of the wilderness, and into a promised land. We, we sang a song earlier, a yes in my heart. That makes a difference. So with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, reverence to the Lord, if you hear that voice, if you have that yes in your heart and you've not received Jesus Christ yet as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand right where you're at. This is the call. He's calling you out of the wilderness. He's calling you out of the darkness. He's calling you to resurrection. Is there anybody here? Just raise your hand high. Yes, I see your hand. Anyone else? Yes, I see your hand. Look, this is a special moment. You can lower your hands. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. It's a picture of you coming out of the grave. I want you to come out of your seat. I want you to come to the altar so I can pray with you. So the altar is the place where we're altered, where we're changed, where we're moved from one place to another. And when you come up, this is what you're saying. You're saying, I'm done with my life. I'm done with trying to do it on my own. I, I'm trying, I, I'm finished with it. And I want you, Lord, to take my life. I want to give my life to you so that you can put your life into me. I give you the keys to my heart, to my life. And I want you now to take residence and change me. Church, I want you to stretch your hands and we're going to pray over her. And as we pray, I want you to say this prayer as well, out loud, all of us. Father, I come before you. I thank you for your word. I'm done with my life. I want a new life with you. I'm a sinner. And I believe you paid the price for my sin. Lord, I make you my Lord and Savior now and going forward. In your mighty name, Jesus Christ. And we all say, amen. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. You are now a new creation in Christ. Your next step is to be baptized, to seal it completely. And for those of you who are here, we're going to worship. We're going to make this a time where we give God our best. And these altars are open for you as well because we want to give God our best. 
and worship him starting off the new week. He loves us so much. So you can worship where you are or you can worship and come forward and we'll have people to pray with you, including myself. today's message. If you're new here, today's your first time visiting. Today you've made a commitment to Christ. Or you just want to know what the next step is. On your way out the door, visit our VIP team. They can give you all the information you need to know about baptism, about DNA class, about RLU, about where to get plugged into ministries and life groups and all that fun stuff. You can go out there see Maurice and Jimmy and whoever else is out there. So until we meet again next week, everybody have a blessed Sunday and a great week, and we'll see you next time.